Borak Dog Artlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 84th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Oh my god, no. <laughs> a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for July 1982, progs 271 to 277. This week... Sam Slade solves the case, Rogue Trooper reaches the sea, and the fatties revolt in Judge Dredd! It's in so many cool ways. I want to be a part of this movement. (laughs) It's real fun, dude. Oh, I love the League of Fatties so much. But before we get to that, we got to get through most of the rest of this stuff. But luckily there's good stuff along the way. I think we can all agree on that. Especially starting with... Thrill One... Robo Hunter. So, script robot for Robo Hunter, Alan Grant, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter. Do you know what I love, Conrad? What do you love, Fox? I love a, I love a good cult. A yeah. meaningless cult that doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything other than, like, cool chants and, like, a guy on a giant pedestal above everybody <laughs> just saying, like, hey, man, like, Goonie Robo, but also Robo Goonie, but also those two things together before we chant something else. Goonie Goonie Robo Robo, yes. Let's check in on this Robo Cult, the Goonie Temple. It's It seems like it's a mix of Sun Yung Moon's uh, People's Temple and the Hare Krishnas, and the leader of the cult has decided that it's time for a sacrifice. Oh man, sacrifices are so cool. Who are we going to sacrifice? Oh, well, according to uh, Ronald the Robot, it's going to be the two newest members of the cult, Hoagie and Ronald. (laughs) Who will note has some kind of weird robot foresight that doesn't just limit him to robot foresight, robot, robot foresight, but also (laughs) uh, people, people uh, foresight. Yeah, no, he's developed some sort of uh, robotic mind-reading powers, and that's why all these different people want to grab him for his mind-reading talents. It's pretty great. So here comes Sam Slade trying to contact Hoagie. Yeah. Well, well, Hoagie calls into Sla- Sam explaining oh, what's up. Oh, that's right. But he can't tell Sam the secret location of the temple. He's been sworn to secrecy, of course. Luckily, uh, Stogie is able to get the information by basically Dude. just saying, like, hey, I'm hey, I'm a robot. I want to join the temple. Where is it? And Hoagie's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's right here. <laughs> While Sam is just, like, right there sitting. Yeah. It was, they don't even hang up. Really they good. just run off from there <laughs> to go <laughs> Which get is her. always good comedy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Sam? Sam? Yep. Um, they, he, j- Sam jumps in his semi stolen hover car and makes it for the, and, and makes for the temple. <laughs> He's going super fast to lose the various tales he's picked up over the course of the, this case. Uh, Hoagie and Ronald are brought to the top of a giant spire in the Goonie, Ro- in the, uh, Goonie Temple uh, compound. And, uh, and uh, they're about to be pushed off the side when Sam arrives to break it up. And he accidentally knocks the leader of the cult off the side of the spire. Well, let's say <laughs> accidentally in like... Uh... Very intense quotation marks. Yeah, you know, well, you know, the 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 cult leaders yelling at him, and he runs in front of uh, Sam's uh, car door, and Sam opens the door and knocks him off. You know, it's how it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Just your cult leader dead. Yeah. The uh, the Goonies start to riot, and Sam flies off, but gets shot down by East Side by East End Ernie's goons. One of the guys going after Sam. Yeah. I have a weird question about this. 
uh, he's got like this weird uh, East Ernie, mm-hmm. East End Ernie, East End Ernie. Yeah, so he's got like a weird thing. What does Stone the Crows mean? Um, I think it means like holy crap or something like that. Like if you see something right. crazy, you'd be like Stone the Crows. It's like a dickhead who or made up strike that the light or something like that. Yeah, I think it means something. There's isn't there? There's like a band called the Stone Crows. I want to say, but yeah, that has something completely different to do with. Okay, I don't know, but this feels like not that to, I would know. To me, it feels very in in character as a uh, as like a British like tough like a tough guy. Like an like extender. Yeah, like like a TV show, like on the East Ender, like Stone the Crows, you know, <laughs> something like that. That's pretty fair. It's very, uh, yeah, it's very like, uh, you know, like I'm a character. I got funny swears, you know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so uh, they start taking out. So East Ender and his goons wade in. They start taking out cultists, try to snag Ronald. At the same time that a bunch of thug bots from Imperial Robotics also show up, do the same. A multi-sided battle breaks up, uh, breaks out as Ronald fixes Sam's car because he was able to telepathically uh, know that Sam wanted the car fixed real fast. Which is, you know, pretty helpful for a telepath. Hey, I mean, unlike I've se- other telepaths we've seen, and like telepaths, like the movies, where all they all they do is just talk to you in your head, and you're like, "Get out of my head!" Yeah, you know. What I'm talking Why don't about. you do something useful for the plot? <laughs> um. So as our guys escape, they're accosted by the those secret agent droids from Special Branch as they but try to make like good their you- escape. New yeah. ones. Yeah, because 004 and 006 or something were uh, killed. So these are this is like 002 and 003 or something. Mm. Um, but they're still coming after him, still yelling at Sam for being a stupid foreigner and stuff, which I appreciate. <laughs> Fair. Um, S- Sam manages to escape them, but they shoot Ronald three times. Um, Sam keeps going to try to lose them some more by going into uh, the Epping Forest Museum. And Epping Forest, oh, that's amazing! It's like a big, like in indoor, like uh, forest preserve, basically. Mm. Epping Forest is a real place, and so I'm sort of assuming this is some kind of London joke that's going over my head or something. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's like five trees. Yeah. So it's got to be some weird British thing. Yeah, it seems like this is a reference yeah. to just a, a part of town where you'd make a re- you know you, where you'd make a joke about it, you know, mm. like oh yeah, it's a Dolores Park Reserve or something like that, and it's just like oh, two guys playing frisbee so, or something. Oh. That'd be so sad. <laughs> Guy coming around with chocolates would get you real. Yep. Something. Anyway, next man. You know, we got the explicit tag. You can do what you want. That's what I'm oh, saying. God. But um. I, I, <laughs> just you know, Dolores Park's all right. <laughs> so these manages to lose him. Uh, Sam gets back to Philby's and repairs Ronald. Though it looks like the damage from being shot has caused him to lose the mind reading ability. So it's all fine. Uh, master hey, and just... slave, or I mean, a uh, human and robot, are reunited, <laughs> mm, and all yeah. is well that ends well. Now, what That's about these stinking cash? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what was that, Fox? <laughs> I, I guess the dude gets paid, but also, like, just like, oh, I guess I lost my sentience, so... He's still uh, sentient, he just lost his, uh... Did he? Is he? Mind reading. Is he? <laughs> is he? 
don't you know, know, it's a discussion for another day, absolutely, as we continue Fair. with these robo... You know, I mean, listen, Sam Slade's going to have a robo, an anti-robo stance, you know? He doesn't care about robo-civil rights. I, I'll be honest, if you're going to let Hoagie sleep in the same bed as you... <laughs> Uh, he doesn't. He he's not letting him. He's just doing it. <laughs> After two progs off, it's time for more Robo Hunter. Sam gets woken up by Hoagie, who announces that Sam is now 100% nicotine free. Afterwards, and after uh, kicking Hoagie out of his bed, he's apparently just kind of sneaks in there while Sam sleeps. Um, <laughs> Sam brings the car he took, quote unquote, on a test drive back to the dealer, uh, much to the dealer's chagrin. Back at the office, Sam rejects a robot divorce case where a uh, a dustpan wants Sam to surveil a brush because she thinks the brush is cheating on him. Which, I mean, <laughs> he kind of admits to it partway through. Yeah. It's just like, oh, we've just been seen together. And it's like, what the fuck does seen together mean? They've just been like out in the town, like going to like a dance, uh, a robo dance club, man. Like the all brush I'm saying is, just say it's like my friend from work or some shit. Don't be like, oh, we've been seen together. Maybe you know, but like maybe robot. they don't work together. You know, because it seems like it seems like in this case, the husband and wife do work together. So it's got to be sort of an outside work kind of thing. You know, that's broom and dustpan. They work together every day. Really ridiculously, actually, a hundred percent fair. <laughs> but so, Sam also once he gets back, he uh, has to give all the money he got from the Philby case to his robo landlord, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, oh, it's great. And then, so he ne- needs a case real bad. Instead, he gets a parcel, but inside the parcel is oh. Commander Jim Kid. Who for? Yeah. Oh God. For those that don't remember, this is a man that was turned into a baby, aptly named yeah. Diaper. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. when uh, when Sam tra- when Sam uh, kid was the pilot that flew Sam Slade to the planet Virtus, and because Sam was an old was an old but still the best Robo Hunter who ever lived, when um, they made that trip, they had to youth him so that he'd be young enough to be able to take the case. So they made Sam grow thirty years younger. But it also made Kid grow 30 years younger, and now he's some kind of man-baby, like a baby, but like, you know, with the voice and cigar-smoking habits of a man, I suppose. I, I was about to say, he's got this whole stogie thing down, like, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit's Def- yeah. uh, Herman. I, I mean, e- even more so, because now he's uh, he's he's made it big in show business, playing a baby on a TV show, so it's exactly like, yeah, like the baby in, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Baby he's, Herman, man. Yeah, he's rolling big time. He's got a fur, a, a real fur nappy. He's got a diamond nappy pin. That's what we they, they call diapers in England, Fox. I don't know if you knew that. but uh, Nope. <laughs> but uh, there's also trouble because someone's trying to kill him. He wants oh. Sam to be his bodyguard and offers him 10,000 creds a day at, uh, for the offer. I can think of worse bodyguards. I mean, definitely. From and this Sam will comic. take guys down. Yeah. So, Sam's at first skeptical, but when he hears the price, he's up for the job. Next time, meet the Orbiting Ogdens. Uh, what's in Ogden? I, I think, know it's a place. Yeah, I, I, but I think also that's the name of the family, or the name of the show that uh, Kid's the star of now. Uh, oh. I think so. That, that might be me spoiling it a little bit, but yeah, that's the case. Oh, dude, I'm... I mean, I don't. It's not that big of a. It's it's not that that big of a spoiler. I gotta say, but yeah. <laughs> so man, no, yeah. 
Pretty fun road trooper, man. Yeah. Definitely does its job of being the funny comic in these, um, in this thing of just bring, opening things up and being real light and just like, thank thank Christ, being fun and doing stuff, you know? Yeah. Remember those times? Hey, it does, you know, everybody's got their role to play. And speaking of playing the opposite role, it's Thrill to Road Trooper. God, I have so much to say about this. <laughs> so first like, off, was script robot Jerry Findlay Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, and Brett Ewan's lighting robot Bill Nuttall. Okay, go ahead. This dude who's like leading these cadets is a real dick, and I yeah. feel like he got his whatever. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, the all hell on the Dixie front story continues at South Point Military Academy, where the colonel in charge has the cadets form up in their chem suits. Starts up the the synth band and has them march against the North and the Nort invaders, playing such instruments as a uh, thing that looks like a fish and also a keytar, kind of. They're all sort of variations on a keytar because they're modern synth instruments, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Rogue and Sister Sledge arrive to find the Souther cadets marching forwards in perfect formation against a Nort armored legion. Not just an armored legion, it's like dream, sorry, dreamweavers, and like uh, every other Yeah, it's uh, all the weapons we've seen we've so far, against. definitely. Yeah, like just marching straight into death. Yeah, the, uh, the missiles fall around them as their crazed commanders for- forces them forward. It seems like there's nothing uh, Rogue and, the- and Sledge can do to save them, but suddenly Rogue has an idea. Um, as the missiles fall, Rogue scatters his equipment around the chem clouds and changes their synths to transmit synth sound, calling for recall. Which, you know, honestly, pretty smart. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess if pretty you're good. communicating by sound as opposed to any other technological advancement that might have happened when yeah. you're on a different planet <laughs> with super genetically engineered soldiers. But, you know, I'm splitting hairs, I guess. That's what they're trained to listen for is the different songs that gets played, you know? <laughs> uh, the I wanna, cadet. I want to be in that army. It is. That's what it is. I know. I just, you know, if, if it's like every playing like Rock the Casbah, and that means get the fuck out of there. Like that's the kind of shit. I. That's the army I want to be in. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, I feel like that's every army until like the 20th century. Honestly, maybe not Rock the Casbah, but like you know, using <laughs> set, you know musical tones to call for different actions and stuff. Absolutely correct. I mean, a lot of drums, of course, but also other things. Um, yeah. So the cadets retreat, and all that's left is the colonel to face the the oncoming Norts. They, but they, though they also face Rogue, who grabs the fallen colonel's laser sword and makes quick work of the enemy troops. Not a lightsaber. It's a laser sword. No, it's different, right? Um, Rogue recovers his gear, <laughs> and when he returns to get Bagman, who he left with with Sister Sledge and Sounded Assembly, so all the mm. troops should, should gather there, he finds all the cadets he tried to save are all dead in a big pile. Oh, God, I'm Medic Lady, and they all died because uh, there was a shockwave that fucked him up, right? In their suits. And- yeah, it's real bad. Bagman says that she killed them all. But of course, you're going to second guess that shit because, I mean, his chip was all fucked up and he definitely wouldn't tell you the truth when shit was on the line. Next, you'll be calling me a Norch. 
maybe. <laughs> so next, uh, Brett, you... 100% thinking me? Yeah, so I guess we're just going to sort of leave that behind, I guess, and move on to the next thing. Instead <laughs> <Sort> of <laughs> being worried about Sister Sledge true. being like a traitor, maybe. Yeah. So next up, uh, Brett Ewins takes over art duties in 272. Who's a, I loved the change, by the way. Yeah, Ewins is a. I mean, I I like Cam Kennedy a lot, also. But uh, mm-hmm. Brett, Brett Ewins is a real is a real classic. Wrote is one of the. Or I mean, I guess both him and, and Kennedy both are are classic. Um, rogue trooper artists and so it's cool to see you know he's done one or two things before but this is his chance to really kind of do some crazy stuff with the dixie front here well you get a lot of definition with the face and oh a yeah lot more darker shading and it's yeah brett cool. uses all about these sharp lines and um and, and dark and dark shading i think it, may, it makes his style look really distinctive yeah uh, so this is as a rogue and sister sledge have moved on to the ox arcs a mountain range above the chem clouds the people there, they run to people there who demand that Rogue leave his, leaves his weapon behind, his weapons behind because they are peaceful folk. Uh, they do, in fact, also have, like the, uh, the townsfolk here have a very bad company kind of look, which won't make sense to Fox, but might make sense to 2080 fans. It'll make sense to you in like what? 200 progs, Fox. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of. What do you, what? Don't worry about it. Their town is called Freedom, and while Rogue respects their pacifism, he doubts the Norts will do the same. He checks on Sledge, who's checking her chem bag, and goes to sleep only to be greeted in the morning by the sound of Nort Hoppers. Which I guess are like... Yeah, they're like... Transports? Yeah, they're like ornithopters or something. They land on Freedom and start muscling people around looking for Rogue, and they Man, even... Man, they crush a dude's throat. They the leader of the towns. Them. Yeah, they, they kill the leader of the town, just ch- ch- crushing his throat in their hands. To prevent future bloodshed, Rogue gives himself up. So, Rogue surrenders to the Norts, and they call for food to celebrate, but the villagers instead bring Gunner out, who mm. goes on full auto-fire, takes out a bunch of Nort troops, while the Rogue and the townsfolk take care of the rest, including uh, choking the leader of the Norts the same way he choked the leader of freedom, Rogue doing it with his, like, handcuff things. Mm. Um, the people have had a change of heart about not fighting, but Nord reinforcements are on their way. Uh, Rogue has the people dress in Nort chem suits and then gives them items four, five, and six from Bagman. <laughs> the incoming Norts raise the village, but when they attack on foot, they get hit by gas grenades that take their unmasked lives. So, I mean, I guess we'll get to the end of this before I make some comments, because there's a lot of things I have a problem with. Yeah. The Ox Arts just. The Oxarkers decide to stay behind to continue a guerrilla campaign against the Norts, and Rogan's sister Sledge begin the final leg of their journey as they're about to reach the coastline of the Western Sea. So, like, you put a differently colored skin man in chains fighting for the South. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, like, I don't know when, uh, oh God, what's the, uh, What's the the episode thing I'm thinking? It's Kuto Kinte and uh, Roots. As yeah, Roots. Like I don't think that came out in the eighties, man. Yeah, it did. Like really? Yeah. Like around this same time, Roots was out. Oh, you're making me look at things on the internet, Fox. Um... I mean, we don't. I you can do that. I'm just saying, like, there's some intense parallels here where it's like I I mean, it's good storytelling. Let's mm-hmm. put it this way, where it's, uh, you know, you make these people who are different than you 
be the people that you send to the front lines to do things end up getting like ridiculously massacred in something that's parallel to uh the north versus the south like Mm -hmm. this was the first time for me that rogue trooper actually kind of hit a little bit home huh that makes sense like there's a lot of parallels here to the actual um uh north versus south conflict in the united states interesting yeah, um, I don't know. It's, I'd be other interested. than the fact that a woman is maybe uh, working for the Nords. So. <laughs> yeah, the Roots TV miniseries was 1977, so that was definitely out by now. I think it's Holy inter- shit. I think it's interesting to think about sort of how much of the Civil War, of the American Civil War, it really impacts Rogue. I mean, you know, Jerry Finley Day is not American, you know? No, um, but they do talk. Uh, but I guess it makes sense in like before. Yeah, and I guess it does make sense in the course of like um, in this of of uh, Dixie of having have sort of southern mm-hmm. stuff. Mostly, it's just been place locations. I think it's an interesting sort of thing to think about how this could relate to you know views of that conflict in other parts of the world and stuff like that. I think that's definitely worth thinking about. Yeah. No, it was just sort of an interesting thing before we hit the last yeah. uh, of these so please <laughs> totally rogue and sledge have made the cross have made the coastline where ships are picking up southers escaping the assault on dixie uh some troops are staying behind as their suits are about to give out and it's just a desperate like rear guard action as, as more and more people try to escape mm-hmm. as our team uh gets um get to the boats rogue gets an alert that nort mcvs are inbound and they'll blow all these ships to pieces so rogue has sledge sledge on that fucking boat yes rogue has sledge but aboard a ship so she can escape and then heads out to stop the mcvs uh he and the the remaining troops manage to take them down but not before one gets a shot off destroying one of the ships in a pretty heartbreaking manner as like one of the kids aboard the ship is like being held by by their uh, parent and they kind of or by their dad i guess they look up and they Dude. say ooh pretty lights and then they just kaboom explode it's it's pretty fucked <laughs> but it's- as we know kids generally get killed in this conflict. Not a lot of surviving kids in 2000 AD, it's true. <laughs> um, More fatties once we get to the end of this thing. Well, you don't get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Rogue's kind of bummed, but then it seems like Sledge actually didn't get on the boat, so now it's just the two of them stuck on the beach as the Nort forces close in. But Sledge isn't worried as long as Rogue's there's too. As long as Rogue is there too. Woo! Next time. I am Mo. Seems pretty weird that uh, this dude risked his life to put you on a safety boat, and then you're all like, "Oh, I'm not gonna go on the safety boat. I'm safer where you are." Sorry, I and said, I I said oh. woo, and I meant to, and I meant to say woo. Oh, like a questioning woo. <laughs> no, like a, like a ooh. I'm implying things on a sitcom. Woo. Oh. Gonna get, gonna get. See if rogues blew all over. Whoa, buddy. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyhow, next time, writing love letters in the sand? Thrill 3, Mean Arena. God, I mean, it's just this episode alone that gets so weird there's a lot going on in this one yeah script robot uh, alan richway art robot mike white letting robot peter knight so it's 2025 of course the slayers playing against a crazy vampire team 
It's the goalie. It's not actually long from now, really. Nope. Yeah, it's like seven years, man. It's the future. Um, It's the goalie sourpuss (laughs) versus a whole bunch of vampire dudes. He's like rolling. The goalie sourpuss literally being like, where the fuck is everybody? I have to use everything I can. Not just boulders. Not just boiling fucking oil. Oil, yeah. But also just punching dudes in the face. Definitely. Eventually, Lasso Man, Screaming Sid, um, and Hard Man, Wolf Rocker also show up. Wolf possibly biting a vampire player in the neck. It's not no, quite shown. One hu- Okay, I'm sorry. 100% showing it, given that the guy's like, please don't do that. And given that any action you take against someone else on this field definitely happens. That's fair. A man was wrapped up in bandages in order to maybe be Matt Talon. Hey, that was that was that wasn't part of standard street football play, all right? That was part of an 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 an, un, an unrecognized move based on uh, extra game revenge, all right? You can't I, use that as a standard for the rest of the game, dude. Okay. Look, dude, <laughs> I don't see these vampire bros and all of their day-to-day bullshit and who they fight against. Given the fact that everybody's been at... Uh, I mean, we're getting into the specs... Uh, fuck! God damn it, the specifics of Mean Arena. Yeah. All I'm saying is, like, you don't know who's gotten a, a vendetta. That's super Probably fair. no one. Yeah. So, and got, there's... Yeah, go. There's a, there's a gliding vampire flying in with the ball. He takes a <laughs> shot. He hits the Slayer's goal, which is a giant head, and he punctures it's a giant head, he punctures the side of it, and it causes just a giant gout of blood to come pouring out of the side of this giant head. Send the blood, okay, we can't say blood in a comic book. And the vampires just drink lustily from this gout coming out of this giant head, it's It's real weird. (laughs) It's real uncomfortable that, like, what you'll see later, which was explained... Their goal is like super complicated. Yeah, yeah they gotta like our goal like stake a dude. Is like, yeah, dude, you gotta like throw a ball into a bell that then gushes blood. It's cool, but it's also and gross. And Cyber Goblin Rolo Hardy is not pleased. <laughs> he uh, he or- every time you call him the Cyber Goblin, I'm so happy. I call him like I see him. All right. Um, he orders Matt Talon, despite the fact. That he's orders. been adversely affected by Mother Ta- by Mother Vlad's psychic attack. Yes, yeah, sorry. He orders him to play the Black Ace, the Death Strike. But there's some microwaves going on his brain. I don't care. You, know. you gotta make me some yep. sales. If uh, Town scores, he'll win half a million pounds. But now the vampires long stop can shoot to kill, and he's got a crazy murder crossbow, the incisor gun, to do just that. Okay, so explain me this. Yeah, and I know. That you know, because you're such a... I, I don't know. I'm just making things up on the fly. You're a vampire enthusiast. What the fuck is an incisor gun? Because it just seems like a steak cannon. Yeah, it just right? seems like it's a badass crossbow. Okay, so when No reason I think, to be that big a deal about it. When I think incisor cannon, and I know Fires big this teeth? makes no sense. So number one, that. But number two, do you know... Incisors work because it's like scissors. That's why the sizer is inside of the word. Yeah. Like it's two things mashing on another thing to what done do cut it. I was thinking like this was going to shoot 
two fucking things that would fuck up a guy on two different levels, but it's just a fucking stake cannon. Yeah, it's man, like just, a, a, just a tooth gun. Don't think about it too much. Don't overthink It's a Hansel and Gretel-esque invention. Yeah, it's very similar to a failed uh, <laughs> Jeremy oh, Renner God. movie, uh, Hansel and Gretel. Failed? Everyone should watch that film. It's the best film ever made about Hansel and Gretel. Um, Yo. We open with a commercial for Kazi Flex Leisure Wear. Um, it, it lets an F1 driver survive a crash, and it'll help you too. <laughs> it's what's made Rolo Hardy so rich and powerful, and why Talon has been forced to play the Black Ace. Talon prepares for his run as the wielder of the incisor gun gets into position. Next episode, or this episode, three pages. Yeah. Talon heads out, but not before he tells Rolo to get stuffed. He grabs the ball, takes out two vampires, and makes his way to the goal with deadly purpose. It's a normal way to take out people to just punch them in the teeth with the ball. He does it a sure fucking. Matt Talon does it a lot, so I think it is. Um, yeah. So Talon's on the move with the ball. Longstops is zeroing in on him when other vampires attack. Talon uses his Blast Master to destroy the walls underneath the attackers and then uses it again to create a hole in the wall to escape. He then. Because you can use it twice! You can use it twice, and now he's done it both times! He then finds himself in a crazy maze kind of situation and under mental attack from Mother Vlad. Talon makes his way down a tunnel. It's, you know, he's got crazy mental things. Um, <laughs> makes his way down a tunnel. He gets trapped by some falling rocks. And then, oh, geez, the spike-covered ceiling is coming down on him. Oh, man, I'm going to get crunched. But, oh, wait, no, I'm not. So Mother Vlad uh, psychically laughs at Talon as the spikes lower on him. He's not quite crushed yet, but it's getting close. He tries to use his droid gun to blow up the mechanism, but it doesn't work. Not even limpet minds can save him. That saved him, like, every other time. (laughs) The the rest of the team tries desperately to save Matt, but that ceiling's getting real close. But suddenly, there's there's an explosion and a hand reaching out. Oh, fuck, I can totally get out. Talon has been saved by Brazen. Yeah. Brazen the hot babe, what she doing here? I thought you were a bad guy with the bomb in your apartment and such. Mm-hmm. No, but it turns out that bomb was for her. The hexagang's after her as well, and she's joining Matt on his death strike, whether he likes it or not. But wait, Conrad, why would she be attacked by the hexagang? Well, it's a perfect time for some exposition as they make their way to the, gang- to the goal. <laughs> For like a hundred lines. A lot of exposition. In the first, like, sixth of a box is, like, just words. First they, like, take out some vampire players with, like, glowing maces or something. Then, Mm -hmm. as they travel, Brazen tells her story. She was dating Matt's brother, Paul, before he died and knows the entity of one of the Hexagame. The the Hexagame, it's uh, Eartha Trent. Which, Which, if we remember... Before we decided to name this woman suddenly Vampire Lady, Mother Vlad, Vampire, yeah. it was Mother vampire Earth. Vampire 100%, she was Earth. Yeah, that would have been a much more delicious name in terms of the uh, <laughs> final name of the thing, but whatever, it's how it goes. Um, but yeah, so Earth of. Eartha Trent was a blonde party girl who pushed Paul Town to take huge risks and not seek proper med- medical attention on the street football field. Which, you know, I I have this harder feeling about this whole situation. Like, you have medics telling you you should get some attention, mm-hmm. right? 
Yep. Uh, and then a sexy lady is like, oh, no, don't seek medical attention, even though your bones are hurting and your yeah. organs are broken. Mm-hmm. So whose fault is it really, Matt? Are you just killing these people because your brother made a series of unfortunate decisions? Look, the answer is-, is is that um, she got <laughs> is that Earth is in trouble for getting Paul sick, causing him to be afflicted by a serious case of booty blindness. Um, oh my God! Anyhow, I once, will use that forever. <laughs> please, once once Paul got injured, uh, Eartha dumped him and sort of put him into a, the downward spiral that led to him getting killed on the field. Um, and now she's out for revenge against Matt under Is her she? against Matt under her new name, Mother Vlad. So. And then, and then we come back to present where he's kicking dudes right in the dick stomach. Well, well, other people are. That's other Slayer's team members are looking for the vampire oh, really? Longstop. Yeah, including one guy who um, is actually Brazen's replacement, so, um, who kicks one of the vampire guys in the chest. And when he does, it causes that vampire to explode. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just, it's really hard because they all look like Matt Talon. Oh, yep. no, he's got the little bat ears. It's a little different. On his thing. Uh, yeah. It's no, a different guy. That's fair. But luckily, and so if this guy dies in the explosion, it means Brazen can play in the game because her replacement has been killed, you know. Oh, so they just kill off a dude well they had to show this exploding thing too which we'll learn about next time in the uh, episode tickety blam all right <laughs> i know i took a long time talking about in arena i'll 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 justify it by two points mm-hmm. everyone should know if they've been listening for fucking 82 or 83 or whatever number you said episodes Four. 84 <laughs> fuck you oh that's so many uh, I like vampires, but also vampires don't explode when you kick them in the stomach crotch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if that happened, I would be a vampire hunter right now. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched a lot of Buffy, and I gotta say that a lot of those vampires died with real incidental uh, oh, stake-to-heart contact. And when they die, they do kind of explode. Conrad... There may be so many reasons that I like you. <laughs> okay, but buddy. Maybe this is the reason that you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just got I got opinions about how about the about how no. thorough they are with steak and dudes and Buffy, dude. Anybody who brings up Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a friend of mine. All right, enough of this love fest. As we go to <laughs> <laughs> non thrills, covers, nerve center, and pop. Culture robots. Please tell me. Great covers this month. Yeah, there's some good ones. Prog 271, Ditchum GBH, the fate of Ace Trucking is at stake. Uh, Bell Ardinelli draws GBH fighting a crazy squid mo- a squid boxer monster on this cover. But distracting from this art, uh, as Tharg explains in the Nerve Center, is that the price of the Prog has gone up to 18 pence. Boo! Which- <laughs> Bro, how much is that in groats? Because I feel like I'm overpaying at this point. No, man. It got, you know, it's a steep bargain at any price. Um, <laughs> also in this prog are winners for the Cursed Earth Part 2 graphic novel contest. And mm. letters seem to have heard rumors that you can either uh, win a Judge Dredd costume or that Ace Trucking is being canceled, both of which are false. Correct. There's, 
There's also a picture of Judge Dredd at home reading a book of law, chilling in his easy chair, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> Jesus. There's also an entry of Mega Sounds this week. And it's always interesting, oh, yeah. these Mega Sounds ones, just to see how many like bands I've heard of, I guess. Bro, the Thunderbirds are not like amazing. They're you know? okay. But yeah, so I've heard of Thomas Dolby, of course, Blind Me, blind me With Science. Uh, Toya and Toltex 9, I, I have not heard of those. This time, like Fox said, you can get a free Thunderbirds uh, uh, soundtrack cassette. This it's pr- not worth it. Mm, that's that's rough. It's free. Uh, this prog ends with a reader art feature called Cosmic Hardware, and I am extremely skeptical of all the pictures here. <laughs> Except maybe the Vargas single seat strike craft by Tom Bahia, the uh, Fumerian dreadnought time jake time crashing is an over the the top example of tracing. Uh, you didn't have to add those sailing ships in there, Trevor Rees. That's just getting greedy. Wow, calling people by real, names. Real talk, bro. <laughs> Episode eighty four. Come at us, you fucking like maybe six year old person. You know, it's all fine. I mean, you know, it's fine nowadays, but as a kid, no, you know, I like shake com- my head. If if you're this guy, like, comment, subscribe. Always. 272, there's a lot going on in this corner. On this cover, the uh, South Point cadets are marching to their deaths. The band Madness is honored by Tharg. And there is Fruit Gum's secret to be solved. And um, so I have a real question for you. What's yeah. the secret? Man, I don't know. Um, in a half-sized nerve center, Thar- Thargasis is asked to pardon Fink Angel because he's not that bad. And dude, Fink Angel's pretty bad, guys. I I was gonna say he's not exactly uh great. He's <laughs> kind of an but angel gang. Member. Tossed he tossed Hershey in a recycle, dude. So yeah. <laughs> also, this month we have uh. Weekly installments of the uh, of that half page Secret of Nim comics. Um, uh, so, oh, sorry, I wanted to mention this. Yeah, uh, just to everybody, I love Secret of Nim. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite films of all time. Nice. I know it's not super deep. It's not super complex. Dom DeLuise is a crow. Yeah. In it, so I guess <laughs> that's kind of like a. <clears throat> it's so eighties. It hurts, but yeah. like it's it's. Um, because Dark Crystal will come up again. Yeah. I think it's, it's cool that we see all the different... Like, um, unlike previous ones of these, we actually see, I think, pretty much every part in the course of, of uh, the weeks of 2000 AD, which is, which is pretty fun. So there are things in the miniature comics that actually don't happen in the film. Oh, interesting. I haven't been su- paying super attention to it, I got to admit. But I feel like there are sort of... It might be more book-based or just more sort of like, hey, here's the basic outline, figure it out. To just well, whoever it, wrote this. it's more of the... That it's extras, so hmm. that it doesn't ruin the film for you. Ah. I find very enthralling. Nice, and 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 maybe it's uh, more of a signal of the times in that um, part of the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, like this, to me, is the heyday of films for kids. I mean, it's definitely maybe a big, because I yeah. grew up during that time. This early '80s part, it's definitely sort of an expansion of the idea of making movies for kids. I think. And making them darker. That's true, like too. Like, assuming that you can make something for kids that isn't... 
that is just like brightness and um, just real surface stuff. I, th- I think that's a decent observation for sure. Uh, Mid Prog yeah. DJ One comes back for more mega sounds. This time interviewing the band Madness, the uh, of course ska new wave kind of band, famous for two separate house house themed songs. Um, I would argue maybe one of the progenitors of ska. I mean, they definitely, man, those horns go so crazy, a lot of stuff. I, th- I think I've gotten in trouble in the 2000 AD forums uh, previously for not knowing who Madness is. I know who Madness is, guys. You know, be cool. Um, <laughs> hey, they, look, these guys, if there's one thing that Conrad knows, it's more things than me. I mean, I know some, I don't know, I do stuff, but uh, I, 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 th- I think I, I just got in trouble when I said that, like, I don't know all the bands that I put at the start of the show because I'm just I'm not super aware of all the different uh, musical uh, movements that were happening, like, before I was born or when I was a baby, you know? Look, man, it's all it's all throwing stones at crows, right? Well, whatever. Um, but so Madness turns out to be pretty big 2000 AD fans, which I think is pretty neat. And then this prog ends with a full color ad for Wrath of Khan, which is good also. It's all right. I can't believe that you're going to say that Hansel and Gretel is good and then Wrath of Khan is bad. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with you. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Prague 273, wheel. The uh, the League of Fatties is protesting in one Dude. of my favorite ever covers. It's real good because if I could have a hot dog trough in front of me, definitely most times, but also have hair that looks like it's on fire. The fatty in the cover of this one is a real Ron Smith special. He's going all out. Um, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't matter what you look like you can still look great totally i went on the i went on twitter and asked people to help me decode this one because i was wondering if shouting wheel at somebody was just something you'd say um to like a protester but i think the general consensus is that it's just he's just telling that guy to walk but because he's got the belly wheel and so he's uh, real yeah okay that yeah. makes a lot more sense for me Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a little mysterious. Yeah, in the also, nerves- I oh. just want to give a quick shout out. Sorry, go ahead. Make pies, not war. Definitely, I, f- I feel good, like that's a real thing. Good protest signs in the middle of the League of Fatties <laughs> uh, protest. In the nerve center, Tharg the Tharg the Aztecs announces mm. new stories starting for Dread, Rogue, and Ace, and the return of Agent Rat. Which whatever. Or sorry, I should say dread. Yeah, whatever. Um, letters include a kid that did a bike ride for charity, compliments about Jerry Finley Day's art, which he's not an artist, buddy, and sev- and the first of several letters that say something along the lines of like, I just read Prague 1, can't wait for Prague 2, you know? Where? <laughs> just making jokes. Um, and Prague 274, a bunch of Norts are being real jerks, and Rogue Trooper is chained in a pretty cool Brett Ewins cover. In the nerve center, this is the one that got me, by the way, for my comments. Oh, nice. In the uh, nerve center, Thargy Dumpty is skeptical about the concept of a nice su- summer day. A Krill Tro Thargo has a crazy multinational chain letter of 2080 pen-, pen pals. It seems like his copy of 2080 goes to like six different places all over the world. 
And another writer says, oh, future shocks, more like future schlocks, whoa. I mean, we made that joke like 10 years ago. It really feels like it, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you're late to the party, even though you were early to the party and we were late to the party, but we weren't late to the party because you're late to the party, because you didn't say it on a medium that people are listening to. Boom! Wow. Uh, mid Prague, <laughs> there's a danger UAB, which is uh, undesirable alien beings, a fun reader art section. I'm a big fan of the ghoul because it's so clearly hand drawn. Uh, check out our social media, of course, for all these uh, cool reader art sections, dude. Uh, I don't know, there's some reader art in here that uh, I'm pretty privy to in mm. 274 specifically. Well, if you're talking about uh, you're talking about uh, Tharg's mighty micro pages, Fox, the mighty micro pages. Oh, so it's, so it's it's different. Oh, I see. It's like a different name entirely. Yep. Yes. Yes. One hundred percent. This is like my favorite thing in the whole. Oh, so world. we're gonna get a lot more of this. Um, this is the really? first of Tharg's mighty micro pages. It's the feature for the growing home computer market. We get uh, pixel pictures of both Ace, Garp, and Dread, and then we get two Tharg-themed basic programs for your home computer. Um, I must so say, great. I've tried putting these into like an online basic compiler, and I feel like I'm missing something because they never work, which is a real bummer for me. Um, uh, because, well, so this is know. basic, but it's basic, basic, not basic. Oh, I know that sounds weird, but it's literally like I, the way that it will compile will always be weird because it's something that you would put into a computer that isn't making corrections based on other shit. Yeah, it definitely has some interesting like um, I think it's interesting that it lists like the name of the computer you have to run it on and stuff. Like, yeah, I yep. run like on, on like a ZX eighty one or something. Mm hmm. But I don't know. I'll I'll try to figure it out, guys. I want to do these. I want to do these programs, man. I gotta I gotta hack the Gibson and stuff. Um, I guess all I'm saying is that like Howard uh, Salus, like the the scanline dread that you did is actually intensely accurate. I yeah. I love the double chin, and it looks like a dread what you would make in a uh, pixel based video game. I could see them doing it, yeah. Um, then yeah. this prog ends with a bonus nerve center praising the return of Sam Slade and a color pinup of Sister Sledge, Rogue's partner during this Dixie front story. Partner? Or maybe more. Uh, 275 <gasps> GBH is getting heavy against some crazy underground monsters, so it's time for the Shaka War Dance! Aw, oh, damn, I guess you gotta wreck a fool, right? Yep. In the nerve center, Tharg the Telephone, the great communicator, welcomes us <laughs> to a new Dread and Robo Hunter story. Meanwhile, there's reader art, there's reader, more reader art, including one of Dread and Anderson that I really like, but I'm skeptical about its authenticity. And a reader that I don't is, know, it seems pretty OG, right? It seems like, I don't know, it could. I'm 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 of two minds about it. I I got to do research for that one too. Um, also, a reader has done a complete ABCs of 2000 AD, including I for invasion and a man called Bill and Z for Zarjaz. What more can I say? I I do want to say the most excited thing for me was D Mill 
Start oh yeah, man! Yeah, yeah. Mid Prague, there's a ref- there's both a refresher on CB lingo for his trucking fans, mm-hmm. and a cine and a Cinefax page hosted by D Mill with information on Raiders of the Lost Ark two, Mirror Man. It's a big feature on Dark Crystal. Um, a thing talking about the release of ET in uh, America and the movie Extra Extra, which Fox might know from the YouTube series okay. Best of the Worst. So. I watched Extro. Mm-hmm. It is maybe... I, I don't know if you've had time to actually watch it. Because I watch it because of Red Letter Media. Mm-hmm. Extro is actually really horrifyingly creepy. Yeah, it seemed pretty gross. That's why I, I, I haven't watched it. No, gross is a great term for it. I always... I suggest people in the highest regard to watch Extro. Like this picture that they put with like some guy like kind of walking. That's not the film. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I'm going to hold your hand and I'm a stick guy and maybe in a rubber suit. It's like, it's not that. Yeah. Like a kid throws a stick into the universe and then it becomes a portal and his dad <laughs> who left his mom becomes a horrifying everything god just yeah. watch the dark crystal if you want something great yeah i like also watch dark crystal kids, yeah that's good i mean dark crystal's great ah, it's so wonderful and beautiful extra is like something you watch uh after dark when your wife or girlfriend is or or you alone it's just someone <laughs> someone else is asleep and you want to be creeped out yeah totally fair. Extra. totally and speaking of getting creeped out, Fox, or maybe just oh feeling weird things, it's Thrill 4 Future Shocks. So we start off our Future Shocks with uh, One Christmas During Eternity. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot Jesus Redondo, lettering robot Tom Frame. I do like Redondo's art so much, Redondo's especially great. when it's in full color. Yeah, this, this is a really nice full color one. There's actually a couple full color ones this, this, this month. Mm-hmm. Um, the year is 2536, but Christmas is much the same. Lars and Amaryllis Martin warmly greet Timmy and smile and laugh as he opens presents, plays with toys, and enjoys a hand-cooked Christmas dinner. But as it turns out... Then the robot man comes to collect Timmy, who was a robot, because in the 26th century, they basically perfected immortality, and to keep populations under control, there's no more children! Don't worry, there's always next year in your endless life of sad immortality! I feel like this is their sad immortality, and not maybe my not sad immortality we were like I, no kids all right <laughs> all i'm i guess what i'm saying is it's not maybe that i wouldn't have kids it's just that you know if you didn't i mean there's your immortal child which why is it so bad that he's a robot it's a beautiful robot boy yeah but you got to give him back periodically that's what seems weird is that you just don't have a robot kid but that you have yeah, a robot no, kid that comes for one day at christmas as opposed to just having like a permanent robot kid this feels like some government bullshit restrictions and not you having your own robot kid which we've seen before helen moore shame on you whoa Saying you can't have some robot kid for your whole life. <laughs> Speaking of which, next one is uh, No Picnic. Alan, scripted by Alan Moore, art about John Higgins, letting her about oh, Tom Frame. S- this one's fucked up, though. Yeah. We're on Easter Island, neat. Or at least that's what uh, Dad Oswald says, but his wife and jerk kid <laughs> are less impressed. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's true, and it's in true fashion of of my favorite kind of future shock, which is two pages or less. Two pages or less features one of my favorite sh- uh, future shock characters, which is the uh, hand pecking wife. <laughs> 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 the uh, the wife and the kid go back to the cruise ship at the end of the day. Oswald's left behind, having been buried up to his neck by his jerk kid. He can't believe they left him. And that's exactly what the other heads say, too. Because every ball of the heads on that Easter Island are all mysterious because they're all tourist dads that got buried up to their neck and left there forever. They turn into Easter Island heads. Whoa! Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> all I have to say is that's what happens when you forget the egg salad. It's true. Or I potato think it's salad? Potato salad, I think. But there's just a really funny part where uh, where the guy says, how could they leave me? And you just hear a voice that say, that's what I said, too. I Like, for me, it's the next one that really gets me. Yeah, the next for one's the real Alan, For the Alan Moreisms. The next one's real good, yeah. It's the, uh, the disturbed digestions of Dr. Dibworthy. Script about Alan Moore, art about Dave Gibbons. Uh, it has about nothing Steve Potter. to do with eating food. No. Well, it's, you know, mental digestions, I guess. But yeah, this is, I really like this one, Fox. Um, though, I love it. If this had come out maybe six months later, it'd be a time twister instead of a uh, future shock. And it's got uh, a pretty standard time twist, or especially Alan Moore time twister um, trope, mm-hmm. which is a wizard, or sorry, a, uh, a scientist who has, oh, Jesus, oh, a scientist <laughs> who has just discovered time travel and thus does a bunch of time travel based things that things go weird. Uh, this time, just as a scientist is about to think up the theory by looking at a piece of, at a folded piece of paper, there's a knock on the door and it's a future him telling him to register the patent for the time machine right away. <laughs> but then another future him shows up and tells him not to do that because he'll be hit by a bus. And then Who another. then lives in the world where the folded piece of paper was a thing in which created him. Yeah, all these guys multiverse are multiverse bitches. Multi, multi, many, many versions of the professor shows up. Another one says that the guy that said he was hit, going to hit by a bus is actually uh, someone in disguise trying to uh, uh, sneak it from him. It's so fucked. Um, another one, another one got another guy from ten years from now says the time machine is a terrible idea and everybody's in chaos. But then uh, him from twenty years from now comes by and says that actually things are okay and it's just a mess. Um, the scientist decides that's not worth it, and he destroys the paper that would have inspired time travel, causing all the future hymns to disappear. But, you know, well, hey, that, how yeah. do you settle down after all of that bullshit went out of glass of yeah. port? Yeah, so as he looks at the swirls of his glass of port, he starts to make some connections in his mind, and then there's another knock on the door. This seems so... In terms of Alan Morrisms, other than the kid that ate all the things to become a giant kid that ate all the things, <laughs> this is one of the Alan Morrisms that I like the most. Where it's like, oh, no matter what you do, you're stuck in a in an apocalypse. Interesting of ideas life. of fatalism, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, final future shock is the Martians. Script robot David Perry, art robot Jesus Redondo, letting robot Bill Nuttall. Oh, this is a one this pager, Fox. One yes. pager. Finally. <laughs> like, remember when 
one future shocks were one pagers. Usually they were at least two, but sometimes there was be one. It'd, it'd, it'd be like one and a third or something. I, I remember, and it would like either that, be that, bad or great. Like that, that that one with all the animals was one and a third. I think just because they wanted to oh have. Oh my god! Just they wanted to have the punch. You know, they they, they usually Wait, like to have the punch. The one with the hawk page. that takes yeah, yeah. off his helmet. Yeah. <laughs> um. So in this one, it's real quick. A bunch of angry aliens arrive to conquer the town of Wigan when suddenly they find themselves instead in the middle of a fancy dress ball and everybody uh, compliments their costumes. Like, oh my god, it's the best. Here's some awards and everyone's clapping and resolution is that you're great. Yeah, hey, it's good times. But oh man, Fox. Uh, We've been dancing around it, but now it's time to get crazy with Thrill Five. Judge Dredd. Oh, it's so perfect in so many ways. <laughs> Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as TV Grover. Art robot Carlos Escara and Ron Smith. Letting robot Tom Frame. The apocalypse war is over, Fox, but much of the city lies in ruins. And Is it? Yeah, then there's thousands of ownerless robots that are, need some direction in life. The perfect bot to do so, Fox. All in wrestling champion Precious Leglock. So Precious Leglock declares himself king of the droids in a pretty cool song that involves ripping another droid's leg lo- uh, legs off. <laughs> Dude, the guy is called Precious Leglock. Mm-hmm. Three days later, Chief Judge Hilda Magruder is drafting every able-bodied man, woman, and child into compulsory labor units. They their first job is to build an apocalypse war monument. According to Dread, the less like of the apocalypse. That's like the last thing you build. You know, it's definitely either the first or the last. I think. According to Dread, the lesson of the apocalypse war is next time we retaliate first. Well, because that's awesome, and that's definitely what you do. Also, wasn't Magruder one-armed because of uh, the loss of her other arm? It's true, but I think she's got a cyber arm. That would be my that's guess. What I was, that's what I was hoping. I'd assume so, from yeah. From your face. What? Um... So, uh, Dredd is dispatched to Sector 555 to deal with a robot rebellion. Over the last few days, Leglock has organized his robots to build a whole city. Um, it's centered around a wrestling ring from which Leglock rules his kingdom of droids and now human survivors as well. Dredd arrives, blows open the doors and rides in. A new opponent has arrived. And in a weird uh, world in which we live, I guess we're just going to see them facing off in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. But Dread, like, Dread, Dread, Dread Leglock in a wrestling match to the death. Yeah, as you do. Yeah, we go back to you know just, just the start, um, and we get the lowdown of the situation. Uh, Dread goes to confront Leglock, who is wrestling and destroying everybody he comes across, basically. You know, Dread, you know, Leglock's the king of this place, so he's in charge, and Dread is interested in playing his silly wrestling games, but a high explosive uh, shot just sort of bounces off of him, so it means that Dread's forced to wrestle. It goes badly. Both his jaw and ribs are broken, but Dread refuses to give up. Instead, he kicks Leglock and gets him tied up in the ring ropes, then uh, he wraps those around him. And, Mind uh, you, this is after getting his ring. jaw broken, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this will come into play later. So Dredd jams one of the loose ropes into a light socket, causing the metal-wrapped leglock to become a gigantic electromagnet. 
Hey, why not? All the robots get g- pulled into him in a giant pile. He's soon covered in a giant, uh, you know, and from this pile, Leglock accepts defeat. The city is dismantled, and the bots come along quietly to begin the real task of rebuilding Mega City 1. There's a funny part where, uh, the, where the bots say, ah, oh, Dread, you've won the wrestling match. What should, what should we do? And he's kind of says, <laughs> Like, uh, so dismantle the city and come along quietly? Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when your jaw is broken. Hey, you got to make it do with your with your uh, with your sense of pr- with your physical presence and stuff. And there's one thing Dred's good at: it's organizing huge masses of people to come along quietly with their hands up. I applaud your ability to explain that situation. Hey, doing my best. So, oh man, Fox, next up, Ron Smith is back for the first non-Ascara Dread of 1982. Okay, so hey, there are these people what done eat a lot of things, but there's not a lot of food, so I guess we gotta talk about that. Yeah, well, it's this, this is my, this is one of my favorite stories, Fox. The League of Fatties. Um, That's because it's awesome totally i really didn't know how to feel about reading it and then i read it and i'm like damn actually they're kind of great it's great man yeah so this is the first time we've seen fatties in the progs but we previously seen them in a last year's dread annual they're, mm-hmm. they're these giant people so fat they have to have a skateboard called a belly wheel that just goes underneath their giant guts and they've got like boxes full of food constantly hanging under their many chins to feed to keep them fed <laughs> and now they're angry what the fuck man this well, rationing bullshit is bullshit because we should get more yeah after the apocalypse war it seems like having a subculture based around magic uh, massive overconsumption is pretty rough and it leads to fights between normal sized people and starving fatties as they compete for the com- extremely limited resources in post war not just one. Not just fighting, it's like, oh, if you're a fatty, maybe we'll just carve you up into delicious sections of your meat. Yeah, they had a full, like, uh, cut, like, map and stuff. Um, yeah, some fatties are doing welfare fraud, while some skinnies are proposing eating fatties. Like Fox said, the corpulent citizens begin a massive, in more ways than one, protest against the lack of food there's signs like uh big people need big meals and stuff but the plan march is canceled when the protesters can only walk like half a mile before they all get tired out and stuff it's fucked up rather than face the prospect of starvation the fatties band together to found a league and declare war on hunger and those that would control their massive intake. They raid a supply point and take it without much problem, except for the floor giving way underneath them. Uh, gluttony will prevail! It's a pretty good chant. IMO. I have to agree. But so yeah, so the League of Fatties is striking! They're, they're jumping off cliffs onto food convoys from Texas Dude, City. that was... That was the worst, but also the best. They're just giant, flabby boulders. And then when those suicide troops stop the trucks, everybody else rolls out and just eats everything on the whole comedy. They eat the whole thing. Hey, man, sometimes you just gotta munch. They're, they're robbing places and trying to get away by piling into teeny tiny hover cars and then crash over walls. They're, they're trying to use sea, seesaw catapults, but instead they just smash oh, through into cool. the ground. That was pretty great. Like, it's just about, like, the 
there's a whole prog just about how they fail yeah. at being uh, good at what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, all the crimes, basically all the crimes these fatties do result in them dying horribly or being easily arrested by the judges. <laughs> it's kind of cute, like just sort of <laughs> is cute. terrible attempts at crime, basically. <laughs> they're adorable. But, they're not like bad guys. They're just real hungry. But eventually all the slimmies decided they've had enough of these like ridiculous like fatty crimes. And so they start forming anti-fatty lynch mobs. Not so cute. Yeah. Dredd's forces send all of them to the ISO cube because you don't go into, into uh, mob rule. But both he and Magruder realize that they've got to do something about these fatties. So they set up segregation blocks. Which, all right. Yeah. You got to do it, man. see we've got a running theme, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. There are four blocks where the fatties will be contained until they weigh less than 300 kilos, which is 661 pounds, Fox. It's a lot of weight, and to be honest, they're like, how can we do this? And the scale is like, dude, get off of me. It's no, funny, I, yeah, it just sort of... It's real bad. It's definitely one of those things where it's like they gotta lose weight to get to 661, which, man, that is big. Um, they literally have to go to super obesity in order to be called, alright, you can yeah. be here. I mean, you know, I mean, 600 pounds as you see that, and you're like is like more whale than man it's pretty big honestly not to throw stones as a larger fellow myself but whoa anyhow these blocks are all pretty funny fox because they're all fat people um because orson really? wells yeah there's, there's oh yeah yeah there's orson wells who's of course a, a big guy there's a tobias belch who is a fat guy from shakespeare from the play the 12th night there's a mm. frank cannon who was the character William Conrad played on the show Cannon, who's also a big guy. And then uh, William Bunter, who is a fat schoolboy character from early 20th century humor jokes or or humor books. So this is just sort of a well-played joke in general. <laughs> Got you. So they basically sectioned off the part of the city that was for not thin people. They put them all in Fat Town, buddy. Man. Forget it, Fox. Right. It's Fat Town. Um, okay. That sounds horrible. New story now. Fungus! Okay, this was great. <laughs> real, real terrifying. In a blasted uh, uh, sector, a bunch of survivors have found a pile of mushrooms, but they might be poisoned, so they don't eat them, except for one, Grubby, who grabs a bunch because they remind him of the mushroom clouds from the Apocalypse War. Hmm, Grubby. Mm -hmm. Interesting name. Indeed. One bursts in his face, covering him in spores. Three hours later, he arrives at the, um, at the rest of the, of the refugee camp, covered in lumps and bumps, looking real gross. The Looking real, real gross. TBH. Yeah, the other survivors drive him off, and they check his dropped bindle, only to find that it's full of more exploding mushrooms, which then explode. Oh, man, don't pick up mushrooms if they're going to explode and make you a mushroom, bro. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Grubby stumbles into more civilized parts of Mega City 1, where Judge Dredd is called in and finds Grubby covered in mushrooms and fungal growths. And, oh, it's super gross. But also, like, hey, bro, don't touch me. No, Dredd's like, I'm not touching that guy. That guy is too gross. Um <laughs> <laughs> Grubby is taken to a med bay where three things are discovered. One, he's got mushrooms growing out all over him, even on his tongue, which just gives me a shiver up my spine, I gotta say. It's 
pretty disgusting. He's actually Mayor Grubb, the uh, mayor of, of Mega City <gasps> 1 going into the war. Yeah, we'll remember him from like during Judge Cal and stuff like that, too. He sort of had some mm-hmm. stuff. And then three, he's literally turning into a human fungus. Whoa. Oh, man, he's gross. Super gross. Next time, Judge Fungus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, so a fungus person is for me... Same as you. Super gross. Makes me feel really gross, but yep. less gross than, like, cutting open someone's intestine and all this other shit that you see on Hostel. So, uh, and, Yeah, I wasn't grading on, I wasn't grading on that scale. Jesus. I was. I okay. Was, like, in terms of horror. That's right. Fine. But do you know what I love? What? I love wrestling. And I I love the adorableness of the fatties. Totally, yeah. This and, is a fun and month. <laughs> then a man turns into a mushroom, and I'm horrified. So not only do I uh, laugh and feel uh, non-contempt, but then I also get real scared because yeah. I don't ever want mushrooms grown on my no. fucking skin, man. Never. But yeah, this is a great, you know, we just, you know, this is the first month that we're back from the Apocalypse War, so it's neat to see them sort of back with sort of these shorter stories, um, talking about post-war Mega City 1 and stuff, and just mm. getting back into more sort of episodic stories for Dread, so I'm pretty excited about it. Well, what I'm glad about is that it's not super dour. No, they've know? definitely, after the Apocalypse War and being super grim, they've definitely given us, like, a pair of just straight-up humor humorous Judge Dredd stories, and then Fungus, which is, like, sort of a gross, like, horror story, almost. Mm. Just... But you know what, Conrad? Mm. Speaking of ridiculous humor. Yeah. Let's roll out with Thrill 6 Ace Trucking. Oh, it's like Looney Tunes, but better. <laughs> <laughs> Script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner's Grant Grover, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot Steve Potter. You know what I think that you and I both respect madly since the beginning of this comic? Hmm. Great hair. Oh, yes. Listen, <laughs> GBH's hair is more hair. powerful than any any other force on this galaxy. I think we can all know that. And it's Jubaloo Part 4! Oh, my God. It's time to get in the ring and punch some bros with yeah. some magnificent hair. That's right. You'll remember, Fox, that uh, Ace has lost everything at dice. So now he needs GBH to both win the battle of the Biffos and Biffo being the guys, the uh, tough guy that punches people on, an, on a uh, space trucking, on a space truck. Need <laughs> and- a Biffo, bro. And he needs to do so in such a way that Ace can also win big money by betting on the outcome of the of the of the fights. Problem is, GBH is real good at winning fights, so his fucking sum is going down. He was six to one, now he's three to one. Yeah, Come on, GBH, terrible. stop winning fate mm-hmm. or winning fights. Luckily, Jago Kane shows up and bets Ace's rig on the outcome of the tourney. Rigs, this feels like a bad idea yeah. to me. A- Ace agrees, but hoot and heck, it looks like Jago has brought in a ringer for the match. A giant Wolverine eyebrow dude called Brute. But I'll be honest, who is a consummate gentleman who shakes GBH's hand? He's very polite, yes. Yeah, <laughs> much like G- GBH himself. He shakes GBH's hand, even though GBH only comes up to about his knee. It's pretty cute. Because he's huge and terrible. This looks bad. 
GBH continues his run, beating up his buddy, the Octopoid, while Brute's opponent, Moon Maloon, just punches himself out rather than try to face Brute in actual combat. Well, I mean, why would you really? So now it's time for GBH versus Brute for the final battle! Oh, it's the final countdown. Oh, man. The fight goes bad instantly. (laughs) (laughs) GBH can only attack Brute from the knee down, and a single punch either sends GBH up through the roof or down through the floor. (laughs) Which is real great, because even though he goes through the roof, the secondary portion, he just walks back in like, all right, fuck. His hair gets real messed up, GBH's hair, as he takes these blows. Which is how you know his health status. It's true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's linked to that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so things look bad until Feek's buddy, the pig rat, gets involved. The tiny rat climbs into the brute's pants and starts freaking him out or something. I don't know. This allows GBH. Yeah. <laughs> GBH to recover and use the ring ropes to catapult himself uh, headfirst straight into Brute's jaw, winning the fight. Cranium to cranium, basically. There's a lot of a lot of uh, stuff going on in ring ropes this episode. That's what I'm noticing. Um, hey, all I'm saying is that someone had a hard on for wrestling. It's true. Wrestling yeah. <laughs> seems fair. Acer covers the deeds to his ships and gets them repainted back. Back to normal, just in time for Fatty Arkle to wake up from his drunken stupor, having won the MacBack drinking contest. Hey, why not? The Jubilee ends, and the truckers leave as the townsfolk return. Good times. Splitsville, uh, bro. Meanwhile, at the post office, there's one last thing. As Feek's wife is freed from the crate that was sending her to World's End, she does not seem pleased. Well, you know. I mean, she's Feek, but with a wig. Yeah, it's a weird thing. But anyhow, new story, Fox! Oh, whoa! Oh, hell, we're starting a whole new part. Yeah, back in uh, this year's sci-fi special, you'll recall, the boys ran afoul of a Bam Fiesler, which was a ridiculous head monster. Um, Mm -hmm. Now they're going to the planet Lamu, home of a related race of Bam Bam Pots. And that's why this story is called Too Many Bams. It's really great, because we get a... uh, Massimo Bellarginelli cameo. Oh, yeah. Well, hold on, because I, I, this is whole thing. It's soon clear why it's called Too Many Bams, because the boys land, and the entire plant's covered wall to wall with Pac-Man slash Mr. Potato looking bams. <laughs> slash, like, uh, who's the orange guy? What hops on the blocks? Hubert? Hubert. Uh, yeah. There we go. They're, They're like just Q-Bert big heads fuckers. with arms coming out of, like, where the ears are. Um, they come in for a landing. They smoosh, they smush some folks. Uh, they almost get caught in a sea of bams when a giant long leg walker. Smooch some folks. Oh yeah, but a, a big walker comes over and picks them up. Overcrowding is a huge problem for the bams, and they need Ace to take a team of explorers to find a plant to colonize. Well, hey, why not? Yeah, especially when they're paying half the money up front. Ace is good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ace and GBH walk back to the ship on stilts, and they find the Speedo Ghost covered in bams. Eventually, though, the colonist team shows up, and that's when things get weird. Get, like, real weird. All the bams greet Ace by leaping up and kissing him on the cheek, and all the members of the team are 
clearly based on real life people. It's pretty odd looking, honestly. Mm, yeah. Luckily, I was able to draw on the expertise of the 2080 forums, where I learned both that Bampot means a nutcase in Scottish slang from Trout. Uh. And I got a whole breakdown of these heads from Lobo Baggins. So, the expedition leader, Max Challenger, is clearly, of course, the bald and bearded Massimo Bellardinelli. Uh, Miss Frobisher, the geologist, is Massimo's daughter, Valentina. Aww. Dr. Haskins is co-author Alan Grant. Um, we're assuming huh. that, that uh, Dave Patton, the biologist, is the letterer, Steve Potter. Uh, Celia Forbes shit is shit. I should say, is uh, the <laughs> the cartographer is Massimo is 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 Massimo Be- Bellardinelli's wife, and Chumley is the other co-author, John Wagner. So I think it's pretty fun just putting all these characters in here and stuff. Well, sometimes you just got to put a face to a name, right? Totally. So even it's, when it's on stilts and arms. <laughs> yeah. So it's time for the crew to head out to the Bam's new home, the planet Gordon. Just got to land, and it's a job done. Super easy. Amen. Gotta get those bims somehow. Yep. B- bims for bams. The uh, the ghost is underway, <laughs> but it looks like the bam pot overpopulation problem is already starting, as, they, as now there are 12 colonists aboard the ship. They all introduce themselves with kisses, and the ghost finally lands on the planet. Ace unloads the cargo and goes to fly off, but the ghost is covered in quick-drawing, in quick-growing, uncuttable vines! Uncuttable? How will we get out of this situation, Conrad? They're made of super tough metal, so the ship's just stuck, I guess. Uh, Things get worse when suddenly huge murder worms with bug eyes and lobster claws come out of the ground. (laughs) For a reason. Because they're, you know, there's people. They're hungry because they're murder worms. Um, (laughs) One of them grabs Ace and pulls him under, though GBH intervenes to save him at the last minute. Watch out or Ace will be skeet meat. Gross. Uh, GBH managed to pull Ace out of the last minute and then roughs up the rest of the beasts until they run off. With this area full of monsters and the Speedo Ghost trapped under metal vines, Ace and the crew join the BAMs and moving to a nearby plateau to make base camp. Well, hey, why not? Yeah, they pass through a landscape full of scary monsters, but finally arrive. Um, at which point the BAMs do a special dance that instantly doubles their number, which is apparently the source of all this crazy uh, BAM overpopulation. At this point, uh, Ace stops the, the uh, cheek kissing because, good lord, there's too many BAMs. And everybody beds down for the night. But in the dead of night, the pig rat wakes up Ace. Oh my gosh, Feek is dead! Which wasn't he dead already i think this comes from a race of i think this comes from a race of skeleton men that's my my understanding i don't believe it because gbh says says he's dead all the time but that's not feek feek's alive man he's eating stuff with his crazy uh tongue and stuff more like dead tired am i right next time requiem for a skeletoid Mm. and fox that seems final you know, we'll see. Don't get too bummed out about it. Instead, get bummed out about Thrill 7, Agent Rat. Oh, God, I forgot about him. Uh, script uh. robot Steve Moore, art robot Alan Langford, letting robot Jack Potter. So, I'm Fox. just going to be real quiet, dude. I got nothing to say. Do you remember back in Prague 213? There was this future yes. shock. Mind yeah, control. How could you forget? Rat secret agent in a suit. 
assassinate an yeah. Indian mean style space alien. Well, he's back, Fox, for another adventure. Yeah, Conrad, shoot me. <laughs> he's, you know, he's uh, in his double-breasted suit and fedora on the planet Tryon, a.k.a. Tree World, on the hunt for the murderous Mel Balfo, who has a scar on his face and a lady somewhere on the planet. Speaking of which, Rat meets a lady at the Galactic Control Center, who ends up joining him in his investigation to go out into the wilderness. The people in the tree houses, um, you know, they seem like they want to eat ancient rat, but he manages to disavow them of it. Uh, there's ravenous dinosaurs on the jungle floor. Um, after some misunderstandings, getting tossed off the side of the platform and easily saving himself, Rat realizes he must be on the right track, but suddenly there's a forest fire on the horizon. How do we deal with this situation? Well, like, with us being in this one town and there being another town over there, oh man, I guess we're going to have to get on a bat suit. Yeah, you, you do some stuff. Uh, Ancient Rad God modes the forest fire, um, <laughs> calls him a water tanker. <laughs> he then uh, befriends the natives, learns their sweet glider abilities, and realizes that, in fact, the lady agent was playing him for a fool. He glides back to the spaceport and kills Mel Balfo before he can get aboard a spaceship and escape. The lady is arrested, and Agent Rat goes to lunch because he spent this whole story saying that he was hungry and, like, duh, like she said she loved me, but all I thought of was my lunch because I'm Agent Rat and I'm cool. So what you're saying is if he had just stayed there, the entire time he would have been gone earlier i'm just saying that if there's one thing i've learned from both agent rat and strontium dog it's that if you come to a mysterious place and there's a lady who seems very helpful there's a very real chance that she's in on it Mm, fair (laughs) and with that fox we're done with the thrills oh my gosh uh it was a long month man yes it was a five burger there's some really good stuff in here for sure, definitely. So, the question remains, what were your top and bottom thrills for this July 1982? Let me think about this for a moment. I am going to say, and only... Uh, <laughs> feels weird. All right, so I just want to give a special mention to Judge Dredd mm-hmm. for going back into silly territory after it's fun romp in what is literally the saga that made me pay very close attention to judge shred <laughs> however mm-hmm. uh mean arena i'm gonna give it the top spot this month Whoa! i know i know it sounds crazy so i want people to hear me out on that if it had if it had the excuse me get it together you got this if it had been done better mm-hmm. um, in terms of the twist with her brother's or his brother's girlfriend. Mm. Um, maybe even a little earlier. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that this may have been a turnaround point for Mean Arena. Interesting. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of, say, what they're fighting right now. Although I will say that the convoluted mess that is the arena itself (laughs) is much more compelling than other arenas we've seen where it's like, Oh, they're oil guys. And then you fall into an oil pit, Mm -hmm. right? Like this one, it's like you go into a dungeon, you've got a a distinct disadvantage on their court. Like it's literal home court advantage, as opposed to anyone can fall in the oil pit. Sure. It's actually, Pretty interesting, 
but I would have liked to see her kind of introduced earlier, whatever. So these are the cons. Yeah. The pros are that, like, he's got an accomplice now. Yeah. Other than an, an android boy. And and to me, that's more exciting and, and could go somewhere. I know the comic's mm-hmm. about to end. I know they're trying to wrap it up. But, like, this, if they had built it out earlier, would have been more interesting to me. And why it is particularly interesting to me now. Yeah. And um, I think they've made some fits and starts with trying to have like a female lead in uh mean arena. We we've seen a couple oh, possibles like uh, like local Annie, Annie was one. Yeah. There was that uh there was that reporter lady that showed up right at the end of the Jensen gang thing. That was like like a pretty like that was like, you know, like a an interesting looking character and stuff. I think it was like a, uh, like a, like a, uh, rep- yeah, a, a reporter lady that, that could have fit the mm. bill. But, you know, I guess like the writer just didn't want to do it. Yeah. They just right? got, like, got, got rejected. They, it was just like, oh, this was a, a chick that showed up as yeah. opposed to, uh, I was going to get blown up. By the way, the reason I didn't get blown up was because of this reason. Yeah. You could have stuck local Annie in as that same thing, like, hey, I repaired this dude, and I'm here to help you, even yeah. though maybe we have some kind of social conflict about how we go about this, whatever. Sure. Um, it, it, to me, it like it's not the bestest, bestest, best. Like, I still love sure. so much of this other stuff. It's just that that particularly stood out to me right. for the, the turnaround month. or whatever. Yeah. Like she is a more interesting character and I did not expect her to come back period mm-hmm. or to at least have her just been a bad guy. I hear you. Um, for worst, I, I, I pick Radis R Radis if I could, I'm not because it's only two progs worth, right? Two progs. <laughs> Um, so let me think about this. Mm, I'd give it to future shocks. Like Alan Moore did one that I was particularly impressed with. I guess I, I'd, I'd mix Radis R. Radis into that bunch. It's a very, I mean, it's, it's, it's that one's very, a, Asian rats, very future shock adjacent. I mean, it's a spinoff of a, of a previous future shock and stuff. Okay. So I guess that's fair. Like, other than the time travel future shock, which I feel like is noticeable and is something I enjoyed, like, my God, like, I get it when you're doing filler, huh. uh, but, like, you could do better filler. Like, you could do really, uh, I guess, natty filler, and I'd be pretty happy about it. Like, make it bad for the sake of, of, of shit, for the same reason that I suggest people... Watch the Hansel and Gretel movie, I guess. So, hey, Conrad, what's your top and bottom? Because I really hope your top is dread. <laughs> well, I'm going to say my my bottom's Asian rat, buddy. Screw that. I don't care oh, for yeah. Asian rat very it's, much at all. I like so bad. I liked a lot of the future shocks, though. I, I got to disagree with you on that. Um, like yeah. the, the disturbing digestions of Dr. Dibworthy, of course, I think is a really good one. But uh, I yes, think absolutely. I think that um, the during eternity, the, uh, one Christmas during eternity, was nice. I thought it had kind of a a wistful kind of sad thing that I I thought was very good. Um, you are a good person, and maybe I am a bad person. <laughs> I just might be a little more sappy than you, or something like that. And then I thought I the uh, the Easter Island one was great, dude. That was just a nice, like a good like setup punchline kind of thing. Man, any woman who is bitching at you about an egg salad is uh, a woman 
what you don't want to kiss. Uh, You know, that's how it goes. Um, And for my top, yeah, it's Judge Dredd, man. Like I said, Uh, League of Fatties is my favorite, is my favorite Dredd story, or is one of my favorite Dredd stories. And this one has League of Fatties. So here we go. You know? Um, Uh, uh, Yeah, it's real good. Like Precious Leglock is also real good. And like, you know, while, you know, and, and Fungus just really has a couple, like a couple of the images that Ascara does of grub with like the mushroom growing off of his nose and then like a bed of mushrooms on On his tongue is just just like it really sends a shiver up your spine in a really like oh my god that's terrifying kind of way that i think you know can't be underestimated is really cool god it's so gross conrad and i like you for choosing it and then there's a lot of cool other cool stuff i just want to say um i think like i'm really you know we're we're, we're getting the climax of the dixie front which i think is 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 Mm. pretty good with rogue um and you know i'm excited about the start of this kid case in robo hunter and um also with these bams in um in ace trucking the culmination of this bam storyline is really hilarious and i can't wait to get to what i gotta say i i have a question for you yeah so, so you know my love of Bella Dinelli runs deep. Yeah, um, I have to say, it, do you think that Ace Trucking is a better stylized comic book than, say, um, not Flesh, because Flesh holds a special place in my heart? Sure. But I guess um, uh, Meltdown Man. Um. Because that maybe it's a discussion for another time, but let's, like I've been thinking about yeah. it because let's put a pin I think in that, that the writing and and art combination for Ace Trucking is better. Uh, I I agree. Um, let's let's maybe talk about this when we get to the spinnies this year or something like that. Um, I think that's fair. You know, and 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 just have a discussion about it. But yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know the differences of of. Um, having of, of a big serial comic versus shorter comics in sort of a, you know, ep- more episodic is a big difference. And just, you know, I mean, Alan Hebden is a fine writer, but this, uh, but you know, I mean, what Grant and Wagner, that's like a historic, awesome writing team, you know, and it really, that's pretty fair. Like carries some weight there that, you know, the having the same artist lets you sort of, you know, remove some variables, I guess. Mm. Yeah. All yeah. right. But I think we should definitely talk about this more. Um, I think, you know, now that we're, as we get further and further, you know, as we like, you know, as we're now on the road to episode 100 and all that stuff, you know, we've now developed enough knowledge or enough experience about all these progs that we can start having, you know, more highbrow debates about. <laughs> Are you are you saying are right. that we have taste, Conrad? Has this Conrad <laughs> has this uh, comic book gone down? I'm just saying that that at the very least, at the la- over the last 84 episodes, we've managed to develop a palate. Oh. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> so so salt is too salty, so we need to go saltier. Well, I just think there's a point where, like, you know, if you drink, like, if you have never tasted any kind of like pie, then all pies taste the same. But once you've had 85 pies, you can start telling the difference between those quality <laughs> levels of these pies, you know? Once you've had 85 pies, I, you know, I wonder if I've had what, 85 am I, am I wrong? That feels right. No, that feels like a no, right based statement to me. I, I guess what I'm saying is that I want to eat 85 pies. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty hungry. I'm not podcast too. We got a we got an idea. Anyhow, oh, my God! <laughs> I hope everybody enjoys. 
I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact us, Space Spinner 2000 at, at gmail.com, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Come back next time as Kid finds even more danger despite Sam Slade's protection. The Dixie campaign ends and Rogue goes on an assassination run. Dread fights the fungus and runs afoul of a game show show. Uh, Again. The game against Mother Vlad's vampires concludes and Ace Trucking finally deals with having too many BAMs. Also... It's the return of Fox's greatest enemy, the Green Cross Code. God damn it. Like, really? (sighs) Kids are getting hit and the kids got across the street, buddy. Until next next time, I'm Conrad East Fox. We are Space Spinner 2000. Spawn dig for a drink. Big plot point where Hansel has uh, diabetes because they ate that uh, candy house. <laughs> Anyhow. I fucking completely forgot. What? That's a huge part of it. No, I know. <laughs> Just. Anyhow. <laughs> we... Sorry, Kim. God. Jesus Christ. Never going to finish this episode, I, Fox. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I okay. just I really did forget about that. It's fine. I'm crying. Give me a second. <laughs> I forgot that they use diabetes as a plot it's point. It's a major plot point. You, everyone should see that film. It's so good. Like, I'm pretty sure. No, like, it's true. Oh, my God. Oh. <sighs> okay, I'm good. Let's keep talking about me and Arena and Black Ace bullshit. I was like, I was like hoping, like, oh, maybe we can make some time back with uh, me and Arena, but no, it's no, fine. it's well because me and Arena is really good. This time. Yeah. So we open with a commercial. Okay, so here we go. Three, two, one. Here we go.